forecasted result of sinful decisions, we want to say, why would all that happen? Why would we have suffering as a result? Why in the day you eat of the fruit will it surely die? Why would there be this cascading struggle? Not just in the life of the sinner, but in the life of those surrounding the sinner. Well, let's start with the thorniest problem. And I remember debating this in college at the University of Arizona uh, with my philosophy professor who wrote the textbook that we were using. Professors love to do that, assign their own textbook which I will do in the cl- and I have done in the classes I teach. I understand that temptation. <laughs> Natural evil. Here's the thorny issue. Okay? Why would there be plates, as I was told by an atheist, why would, why would God make plates in the earth that would be unstable, that would shake and make people's houses fall down on top of them? Uh, this is natural. No one made the decision to have those plates slip. And I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Someone did make a decision. My theology says someone made a decision. Natural evil is not arbitrary. Bacteria, cells that are attacking our body, viruses, these half-lives that associate with a host and start to wreak havoc, cancer cells that abandon, to use biblical terms about angels, abandon their natural abode and begin now to do things that would stymie the actual proper working of the cells in my body. All of those things, naturally those, you'd say, well, no one decided to have cancer, right? No one decided for the volcano to blow up and and kill Harry Truman, I talked about in the sermon last week or whenever it was. Um, That was a natural evil. Hurricanes, Katrina, sweeping through, that's a natural evil. So what's that all about? And my professor, I remember saying, Uh, if not in person, in the textbook. Those blend together in my memory back in college. But um, listen, if you want to talk to me about a theistic God of the Bible, you got me as far as moral creatures go. But I lose you when you start talking about natural evil. I'm not persuaded to be a theist, he told me, or he wrote, because I look at volcanoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and typhoons and tidal waves and whatever else might be that cause suffering. They cause human suffering. And I'd say God should control that. God may stand back and say, I've created human beings with moral agency, but I mean, come on. There's no choice making in the trees and yet a tree falls down and kills someone and we would say, that's a natural evil. The wind blew and fell and caused suffering in a family. That's natural evil. As a whole, I'm speaking as a whole, We need to realize this, it was justly imposed. Here's what the Bible would teach us. From the very beginning, everything about the natural order, things that do not make decisions, the inanimate objects of the universe, and of course, so much of it is quote-unquote living, right? It's biological. I mean, it has some kind of of life to it, whether it's the half-life of a virus or a bacteria or, you know, some kind of creature in your backyard that eats your cat, whatever it might be. The Bible says all that's justly imposed. Genesis 3.17, God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, he was made of the fabric of the ground, you remember, and to say cursed is the ground, the stuff in the dirt now is not going to work the way it ought to. The ought to's of God in the design of creation, now he says, is not going to happen. It's going to fall short. There will be evil in the dirt. That's the idea. And that's what we call natural evil. It's not the decision of moral agents. It was the 
sentence decision of God saying, you moral creatures who have chosen to sin, now I'm going to give you a sinful environment. Matter of fact, you're going to live in a sinful body. And it's going to cause the thing everyone's so uptight about, the same, same thing Sam Harris doesn't want, and that's pain. His ethic is simply, if it hurts, it's bad, at least in most cases, what they call gratuitous suffering, because of course they have to uh, abridge their ideas of what it is to be evil, but in their ideas, it's in their thought, in their argument, it's gratuitous suffering, and so we see there's going to be gratuitous suffering. Even just normal suffering, in the case of earning your paycheck, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In that case, in agrarian culture, as has been, and still we're the beneficiaries of an agrarian culture, it's going to be hard, and you're going to struggle, and you're going to have problems in your body. You're going to have heart attacks. You're going to have strokes. You're going to have arthritis. You're going to be bald. You're going to have all the problems it is, things you don't like. You're going to happen to you, and that, the Bible would say, is justly imposed. And by just, justly, I mean it is a response to God against the moral deficiency of human beings to put them in a moral container that makes no choices but has a negative effect on their lives. That's the idea natural evil. And the Bible would say it's justly imposed. Now, even in our starting to create just the thought about how to communicate with non-Christians, we say natural evil was the decision of God. The good news is the Bible says it's temporary. To think of a God who creates a universe that never is freed from that kind of curse, as it's put so often, the curse of Genesis 3, which is not called that in the passage, but well, curse it is a ground because of you. I guess it is a curse, even stated that way, I suppose. But it's the just response, not a curse in an unjust way or a capricious way. Natural evil is temporary. And this should be an encouraging passage that both gives you the weight of the problem of natural evil and also the hope of even when it was done, it was done with a sense of being temporary. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, the creation, speaking now about the rocks and the trees and the tectonic plates of the world, it was subjected to futility. In other words, that's what we're talking about, evil. It's not the way it ought to be. Even the cells that say it ought to be this way, they're going to be thwarted. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be able to do what they're supposed to do. It's going to be cursed. Creation was subject to futility, to evil. Not willingly, right? Not because it wanted to, right? We're personifying the objective inanimate things, but because of him who subjected it. That's why it's the decision of God to create a world where there's earthquakes and create a world where there is influenza and to create a world where there are trees that fall down in indiscriminate ways, it seems. Of course, we know every molecule of the universe is under God's control. More on that in a minute. Here's some great words, two words that come next, in hope. In other words, the point is all of this is temporary. He did this in hope that the creation itself will be set free. That's the hope. One day it will not be in that bondage. It'll be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God because that's been the promise in the passage and throughout Paul's writings and, and, and his preaching, I'm sure, and that is that there's going to be a fix for all of this. All the problems and the pain and the things that you see are going to be reversed, including natural evil. I like about this passage is that even within the moment of its cursing, and again, we're personifying God as human beings and trapping him in time, which of course he's not, but in the curse itself, at that moment, it was done in hope that, hey, this is temporary. All the things that go wrong are temporary in the fabric of the universe, in the temporary evil of volcanoes and earthquakes and typhoons and trees falling on people. Temporary. Societal evil. These are things like Abel being killed by Cain, 
like your daughter being raped by a pervert in Riverside. The idea is that these are societal impact, this is a societal impact on other people. Just like we saw with sin crouching at the door, as it's personified, in Genesis chapter four, God is going to say, okay, make the choice. Choices are honored among the moral agents of God. That's how God has done it. He says, for instance, here's the plan. Don't kill your brother. Do well, and you, uh, you know, you'll be fine. Fight this thing. Lift up your countenance, he says to Cain. Galatians 5.14 says, listen, here's the rules. The law is fulfilled in one word. You don't even need a lot of detailed words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, that's a choice you make, right? Watch out. You know what's coming next. You're going to be consumed by one another. Now, again, that's an analogy. They're not cannibals in the churches of Galatia. But the idea is you've got a choice to make, and those choices will come with consequences, and those consequences are going to be honored. The choices are going to be honored. And that is, as C.S. Lewis points out, and it's a good way to think about it, is a dignity given to everyone, including the perverts and the criminals and the thieves and the muggers. There's a dignity that God grants them by saying, I will honor your decisions. And what will come with that is consequences. Consequences of pain and suffering like a church being, parabolically put, it's an analogy, consume. Your churches are going to be a mess if you choose to bite and devour instead of love one another. You're going to suffer consequences if you eat of the fruit of the garden. You will not do well. You're going to have a lot of bad things happen if you choose to do wrong, whether it's Cain or the people in Moses' day. There are consequences that God honors with appropriate responses. You could look at that at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve in the garden or people in churches like today or in the churches of Galatia of the first century. Societal evil. And the reason it works this way is because of another thing we need to always remember, which parallels B in the first, I'm sorry, number two in letter A. And that is that there's this period of time where these choices are honored even when they're bad choices. Justice is postponed. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Are they repenting? Not the guy in Riverside in our analogy tonight. Sam Harris's rapist is not repenting. He's not choosing to do what is right and choosing life and the benefits and blessings that go with that. Well, he commands them to. Why? Because if you don't, there'll be consequences, not only in this life, but in the next. He's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he's appointed, which is a very important thing. As Jesus said, he's assumed unto himself, the son, he's been given and granted by the father, the authority to judge people, having shared in human temptation, he's in the perfect position to be that judge, the arbiter of every decision. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Christ is going to be the arbiter in a final day of justice, and the justice begins a time when there will be no more sin. <laughs> 